Uh, thank you so much, God, for um, the worship. Thank you, Lord, for filling um, the sanctuary with your presence. You tell us in your word that you inhabit the praises of your saints, of your people, God. And we're so thankful for that. God, we're so thankful that you're that ever-present help. You're, all, you're there. We don't even need to ask you to intervene. You're already there working and interceding for us. And uh, Lord, that's awesome. Thank you so much for your great love for us. And God, just uh, lead us tonight. We pray that you'd be an active part of the service, Lord, that, um, you know, I would try to keep things uh, to the point, and Lord, what you would have me say, Lord, and um, just help these guys filter all that out, oh, Lord. So we love you. We thank you for tonight, and put it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I wanted to um, just kind of, it's been three weeks, almost a month, so I wanted to just kind of review a little bit some of the things that we had talked about. Um, we had talked about the key to the early church's growth. Um, the spreading of the church, that it was a love for the Word of God, a desire for the Word of God, an intention, an intent to um, obey the Word of God. You know, everything focused around the Word of God. That's, you know, we're going to see as we go through tonight. You know, they're always talking about when they ever got, when they got to a city, they preached the Word. When they packed up and went to another city, they shared the Word of God. You know, they shared it with the Jews. They shared it with the Gentiles. Um, they were um, totally committed to the Word of God. And, um, you know, I know you guys are, and it's exciting, right? You know, we, um, we have uh, this book that is uh, God's Word, and it's full of truth. And it's, um, it's our lifeline to the Lord. It's our lifeline to the heart of God. Uh, if we want to understand God's heart, understand what God wants for us, uh, you know, we find all that in his word. If we want to know the, the will of God, well, that's found in the word of God. So, so thankful, so thankful that God has preserved his word. And, you know, we're so fortunate. I mean, we are truly blessed. And I think that, you know, because we have like 10 or 15 Bibles home and we have them all over the building here, um, that we kind of lose sight of the fact of what this book really is. And I'll tell you, I learned um, a lesson when I was in India. I was at, staying with these people and um, had my Bible on the table. And um, this lady handed me a cup of chai, but it was hot, so I couldn't hold it. So I set it on my Bible real quick. She said, oh, no, 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 Pastor Dave, don't put that on the Word of God. And it was like, I mean, she really was like, no, you don't do that. And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, just that reverence for the Word. You know, I mean, my Bible is all taped up and beat up, but, you know, just to see her heart, her heart for the Word of God, how, um, you know, it should just be re revered. So... That's what, um, that's what the book of Acts is all about, and that's why it's such an exciting book. They were totally committed to the Word of God. Um, you know, we talked about how it's easy to, you know, read through the book of Acts. You know, you, you flip through a couple pages, and, you know, you've gone from one city to another city to another city. But just to give you a little perspective, the time span from Acts chapter 10 
where Cornelius was saved to the end of Acts 14, where we are, we'll end up tonight, is roughly eight years. So just to give you a little perspective, it's been close to 18 years since Pentecost. So things, I mean, it's been 18, 20 years. It's hard to really nail it down because it depends on, you know, what commentator you read. They're all give or take a few years here or there, depending if there's some, you know, concrete evidence of the date. But it's just interesting. So this time has gone by. This is uh, the end of Paul's first missionary journey. So I want to just kind of summarize a little bit of what's going on. It's interesting. The church in Antioch is really, um, is the hub really for Paul. That's like his home church. And it's the Antioch in Syria, right? That's north and kind of east of Caesarea and going up the coast. And the church is pretty big. At the end of Acts 15, it talks about how the multitudes got together to um, hear the results of um, the Jerusalem Council. So it's a big church. Uh, and it's been growing over time. And um, they're the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out. So I want to just summarize quickly where they've been so far. And it's really been an interesting ride. And, you know, once again, keep in mind that, um, you know, Paul and, you know, we look at Paul and Barnabas as like these, I mean, they are special men. But, you know, they're just, they were ordinary folks just like us who loved God, loved his word, sensed that God had a call on his life, which we all do, right, to some extent, right? God has called us for a purpose, uh, you know, and they were just living out their faith. You know, I don't think Paul realized, obviously, that, you know, he was going to write a lot of the New Testament. But I hope that encourages you because, um, you know, it, it doesn't make any difference what you do for a living. Um, <laughs> none of that stuff makes a difference. God, God called you just the way that you are. He's tweaking you and he's refining you uh, for the purposes that he's called you for. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas and the guys that are hanging out with them, the different families that they're interacting with, I mean, you just see a beautiful picture of the church and the closeness, the bond of the church. You know, and, and to think these guys, and I know, I, I think I said it last month, these guys walked or took a boat someplace. But it isn't like, um, you know, if we go to Maryland for something, we get in the car and we drive, you know, we stop, get coffee on the way or whatever. I mean, these guys walked, you know, and it was, I mean, really, when you, we'll get into it, but it's just, you know, they start out from Cilicia, they take a boat to Cyprus, they land in, in Salamis on Cyprus, right? They travel from Salamis across Cyprus, so it's about 100, mile, 100 miles across Cyprus. They walk that 100 miles, and stopping at all of those little towns on the way, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. They get to um, Papos, where they meet um, Bar-Jesus, or Almaeus, the sorcerer, right, and Sergius Paulos, who's the, the proconsul. Uh, Paul confronts Bar-Jesus, right? He uh, rebukes him. He's blind. Uh, Sergius Paulos gets saved. They end up taking a ship from there, and they go to Perga and Pamphylia, that's where John Mark left them to go back to Jerusalem. And now from there, they're going to go 36, they're at that sea level. From there, they're going to go 3,600 feet above sea level to Antioch. 
and that's about 170 miles. So it's an uphill walk. And that's where some commentators think that Paul might have gotten malaria at that low, that sea level area in Perga. So just thinking about it, you know, and it's not, I mean, there's no street lights, um, there's no police driving by, or there's no law enforcement. I mean, you know, so they're, they're subject to, you know, robbers, bandits, so they always try to travel in, um, you know, in groups. So, and it, you know, and, and I'm hopefully as you're listening to this, I mean, you could see that, you know, these guys are, um, you know, this is, this is nothing for them. I mean, they're doing this because they know that God's called them to do this. Right in the beginning of chapter 13, right, the Holy Spirit said, separate for me Barnabas and Saul and send, to send them out, right, for this work. So they're just doing the will of God, just being obedient to, to God's direction, um, 3,600 feet above sea level, just going to, um, to um, Antioch in Pisidia. So he speaks, Paul speaks at, on the Sabbath in the, um, the synagogue. They get some mixed results. Um, one thing leads to another. They leave there. They end up in Iconium. Um, they're threatened in Iconium. So, um, you know, they leave there. They end up going to Lystra and Derby and cities in Lyconia. Um, the crippled man is healed. Barnabas and Saul are worshipped as Zeus in um, Zeus and Hermes. So, you know, of course, they rent their clothes and say, hey, look, you know, wait, we're, you know, we're just like you. We're just, fo just men like you. You know, this is the Lord. So they, uh, they stone Paul at Lystra, drag him out of the city, and leave him as dead. And, of course, they surround him. Paul gets back up and goes right back into the city. So that's what we're going to pick up in verse 21 of Acts 14. So a lot's been happening up to this point. Uh, so, you know, that saying that never a dull moment, I, I think Paul and Barnabas could, could have said that occasionally, right? Never a dull moment. You know, they're walking up this mountain to get to Antioch. Hey, Paul, you know, it's just crazy. Never a dull moment in ministry. And it's true, and I think you guys could all relate to that. I mean, how many dull moments have you had just today? I mean, as a believer, we sh I mean, I don't have too many dull moments. They're usually, if I do have a time where I could just chill, it's not dull, you know, because I'm either scorching my wife or just, you know, reading or something. But it's, you know, life is just so exciting. And you have a relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, always God is keeping us busy. So verse 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, being Derby." And made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they're tracing back, they're, they're backtracking, going back to the cities that they came to. So Derby, just to give you an example, is 58 miles from Lystra. So that's the furthest point that Paul went in that direction. Now, I want to highlight something that stuck out in my mind, and I really believe this, this is a, really a snapshot of what the heart of ministry looks like. Okay, so, and uh, I don't have a, a map, but if you could, in your mind, just picture, like, here is Derby, and here is Antioch in Syria, where Paul started out. 
He could have very easily just walked by foot. It would have been a lot more convenient to walk down to Antioch than to go all the way back the way he came through Iconium, Lystra, you know, back to Antioch and then back down to sea level, right? Back to Perga, back to Pamphylia, and then to take a boat all the way back to Cilicia. I mean, he could have very easily did that. But that's the heart of ministry. Paul could have done that. But you know what? He made the choice to go back to each one of those cities. And we're going to see the reason why he did it. But I, 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 want, to, I want you to think for a second or two of, and I wrote down these questions. Do we go out of our way for ministry? I mean, Paul definitely went out of his way to make sure that, um, that these churches were established, right? Do we, care about, do we care enough for those that God puts in our lives, ministering to people? You know, I mean, do we, do, we, you know, do we see the heart of what we're doing? Do we see the importance of it? You know, Paul knew that these were, I mean, these churches were just birthed. <laughs> I mean, like a week before, right? Two weeks before. You know, he, he sensed that it was so important for them to be rooted in the word of God. He, was, he knew it was so important that they had some, some semblance of leadership, some, you know, some structure in the church. You know, he could have very easily had taken the easy route back, but he didn't do that. And, you know, I just pray that, you know, let the Lord challenge you with that. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy, and, and hey, you know what, I'll be the first to admit it. You know, sometimes I've taken the easy way out. You know, sometimes, I, you know, there's somebody I see from afar off and think, man, if I start talking to him or her, I'm going to be here for like an hour, right? And I mean, I'm not proud of that, but you know, we all do it. And when I was reading this, the Lord just said, you know what, Dave, here, here you want to see, you want to know what the heart of real ministry is? Here's a guy that's going to go hundreds of miles out of his way by foot, walking, to make sure that these churches that God birthed, Paul didn't, I mean, obviously, Paul was the person that God used, but, you know, he, Paul knew the importance of it. and He was willing to count the cost. He was willing to go that extra mile for the church, serving the Lord. And so... You know, and there's no, I mean, I don't feel condemned. I feel like, you know, hey, I don't want to ever do that again. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to um, be selfish, really, right, with my time or whatever. You know, God has called me to, to not to do that. So, you know, he knew, Paul knew the importance of, of going back to these churches. You know, and it shows, it shows really the kind of fabric that he was made of. I mean, we know from some of the commentators that he was small in stature, stature, but man, he was a giant inside. I mean, his heart, his willingness to, to just fulfill what God's plan was. I mean, he was tenacious. I mean, you, there was just no way that he was going to go around about. So think about that. And here's why he went to strengthening, in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You know, Paul knew that these guys needed to be strengthened, that there needed to be some leadership there, right? He knew that. 
He knew that. And it's no different today. And you know what? It's no different today either that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And I was thinking of just why, um, why would that be true today? And you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just as true today. And it's not like that we're going to get stoned in uh, Chai Lai and dragged out of town, right? No, but you know, we live in such a time that um, just by sharing the word of God could bring tribulation into your life. You know, just by being honest with somebody and just sharing what the Word of God says could get you in trouble. You know, so hey, until we get to glory, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge, and it's, sometimes it's going to be difficult. And I think for, for me, just trying to think this through, um, it's almost as hard, I, I, you know, because you wonder what it would be like when Paul got stoned, you know? I mean, think about it. These rocks were not little, you know, and they're, but, you know, sometimes I feel like I've been um, verbally stoned by sharing things, you know, sharing the gospel out. And we used to go to New York City all the time. I mean, when I was in India, different places I've been, um, you know, we were in um, Jamaica uh, back when there was um, all the unrest there. And, um, you know, I, I took a lot of serious abuse verbal abuse you know so it's if it's I mean they're not stoning us but you know until we go home to be with the Lord there's always going to be that challenge whenever you take a stand for God's word and, and speak the truth especially in the moral climate that we live in today it's going to be there's going to be tribulation so what Paul is telling them is true for us today just like it was for them for them it was a little different because of the culture and everything but still you know, through many tribulations, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. So verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, the church today is established. And, you know, of course, they didn't have First Timothy Right? They, don't, they didn't have a, a chapter in the Bible that said, you know, these are the qualities of an elder, right? Um, you know, they had some reference to um, what James had talked about. If, you know, if somebody needs prayer, I'll read the verse to you because I, I won't quote it right. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And, you know, James was written um, about a year or so before our text, where we are in our text. But to think that, um, who, are they, who are they appointing as elders? How do, you know, so they pray and they fast. You know, and God directs them on who to choose, You're, you know, to be an elder. And, you know, you could carry that over into your personal life, Right. You get into a situation and you're just not quite sure. You have to make a decision, maybe something about work, maybe family, and you're just not quite sure. You know, it's, it's one of the first times you've been down that road. So what do you do? You pray, you fast, you seek the Lord, and God will give you direction. You know, I, I really believe that, um, you know, you see some of the first time things in the book of Acts, and they're so relatable to us, right? I mean, who, who's... <laughs> Who in the church in, say, Lystra, 
Um, everybody saved has been saved the same amount of time, right? Everybody's been saved for a week. Okay, let's see who's been. You know, how do you how do you do that? It has to be the Lord. They prayed and they fasted, and you see that a lot through the Book of Acts, in Acts chapter six, right? When they had, they had the issue with the widows, so they said, "Hey, appoint seven men to do this, and we'll, we got to focus on prayer and the Word of God." But that's how things got done. So it, it must have been interesting to see how, how it happened. You know, I, you know, you see all these movies with time travel. It would be so cool to go back. And it just kind of, Lord, could I just go back and spend, you know, just Paul's second missionary journey. One of those missionary journeys just to see how, how life must have been. You know, I know that there was that one there was that one Christian movie with the time traveler. I don't know if you guys saw it. That's the only one I could think of. But the guy went ahead. And before he went ahead, they were talking about taking Jesus out of the Bible. Right? And he was saying, oh, you know, you can't do that. There was this big stink about it. So he goes into the future, and Jesus is taken out of everything. People, I mean, he's just like totally shocked. So... Um, it would be just the opposite for me. I would go back and see how it was done right the first time with these guys. But it would be a blast um, to do that. So anyway, okay, I, I digress. But let's read verses 24 through 28. Now Barnabas and Paul are going back to Antioch. And he gives them a, a little brief introduction as to, as to uh, what happened. It says, and after they had passed through Poseidon, they came to Pamphylia. So now they're making that descent down from Antioch. Um, now when they had reached, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. Now they had, when they first, on the beginning of their missions trip, they didn't preach or share the gospel. It's not recorded in Perga, but they did on the way out of town. So from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And so they're back at their home church, the church that sent them out. And uh, boy, they must have been so glad. I mean, could you just try to sense the excitement of, say like Pastor Rob was gone for two years on a, some, some trip to wherever, and he, he, you know, we're praying for him, and, you know, we get little tidbits of information about what's happening, and then all of a sudden, you know, the word comes back that, hey, Pastor Rob's going to be back today. You know, I mean, there would be this buzz, there would be this excitement. You know, I, wow, what happened? You know, we, you know, we heard little things here, little things there. So the church is getting together, and they got to be so excited that Barnabas and Paul are back. Barnabas and Paul are back. I wonder, wonder what happened. You know, wonder, you know, I wonder what happened. So he gets back, and, you know, it's all, um, you know, it's all by the grace of God anyway. And it says, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So it's interesting. I'm sure it wasn't a, a half-hour service or an hour service, uh, for Paul and Barnabas to share all that happened and two years of missionary work, it must have been an interesting service. You know, I could just imagine the place must have been rocking. The worship, 
hearing the word, people just excited, overjoyed. And think, this is a Gentile church. And, you know, Paul is coming back and he's telling them that the Gentiles are, out, you know, out in Galatia, and at least in that area, they're accepting the Lord. God are, God's raising people from the dead. God is healing people. I mean, God's moving in a powerful way. I mean, that's music to the ears of these folks. And they got to be just so excited. And, um, you know, the application is so obvious for some of this stuff. You know, I pray that, you know, that the church would have, um, you know, that same zeal and excitement to hear what, you know, when they hear the things that God is doing, just to get stirred up and get excited about it. You know, have it build your faith. I mean, these folks must have been just like totally just like, wow. You know, just excited, you know, going home and just probably, hey, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not doubting this anymore. I'm just going for it 100%. So, and it says that they um, had stayed there a long time with the disciples. So, must have been uh, quite a service. And, you know, before we go on, in verse 27, when it talks about he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, we just have to keep in mind that God is, God is the one that's opening the doors. You know, Paul's not opening these doors. Barnabas isn't. You know, they're aware of the fact that God is opening them and they're walking through them. You know, and they're faithful to walk through them. And, um, you know, we'll see uh, when we get to Paul's second missionary journey that, you know, that he's real careful to pick which direction to go in as they're moving out towards Macedonia. So they're, you know, they're just, they're, um, they're so sensitive to um, God's direction. And it's really something that should really excite us because it's, it's so available. It's so there for us uh, today. So there are some commentators, and I'm not going to get into this tonight. Um, next Sunday night, I, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more. But there are some commentators that believe that um, during his time in Antioch that Paul uh, wrote the letter to the Galatians before um, we get into Acts 15. So there's some thought that he wrote it after the Jerusalem Council, some thought that he wrote it before. I'll, um, I'll give you... A couple, I'll give you a couple versions of the before and a couple versions of the after, and then you guys can get into the word yourself and kind of take a look at it. And you know that stuff for me is um, is really interesting because for you to um, to try to establish an opinion on it, you got to do a lot of reading. You really got to get into the word and. Um, you know, it's fun because it takes you all over the place through the word. And, it, it, you know, so stuff like that is good. Don't ever hesitate to um, try to dig in and, and, and form your own opinion. You know, I mean, this isn't like a salvation thing. So, you know, you're not going to get kicked out of the church if you don't think a certain way. But, you know, it's so exciting to get into the word of God and just dig in. And, you know, just let the Lord speak to you. It's really, it's a lot of fun. All right, so Acts 15. So we, um, we, are, we probably aren't going to get into Acts 15 um, tonight. Maybe the first couple verses. What I want to do is because the, the, the Jerusalem Council is so important. I mean, really, it's, it's a pretty critical um, point in church history. What I want to do is look at some of the things that were um, at stake. 
Because I, you know, sometimes you can read through Acts 15 and just say, hey, that's great that they did that. But when you think of what they encountered and what they preserved, what was at stake, it really, it's really interesting. So I want to I do that tonight and um, kind of set the stage for when we get into the book because I really want you to be aware of what was at stake. You know, we could say, oh yeah, sure, they were, you know, they wanted people to get circumcised, you know, they wanted to keep the law. But man, by doing that, do you realize what was at stake that the church could have lost? So, a little history there's, and we won't get into any of these, you know, maybe just one, but historians point to seven ecumenical councils in church, the church's early history. The church, I mean, church history is really, um, it's very interesting, very, very interesting. Uh, one of the councils was the Council of Nicaea, and that, that determined, that was in 325 AD, that determined that Jesus Christ was God. That was, I'd say that was pretty important, get together, right, to establish that. Uh, you know, and, and there, were, there was a total of seven of those. But just to think, Think of how important just that in itself was to establish that fact. My opinion is I think that the most important council was this first one in Jerusalem because it established the answer uh, to the most vital doctrinal question of all. What must a person do to be saved? What must a person do to be saved? I mean, it starts there, right? It starts there. So, and then think about it, the apostles and the elders, they, um, they defied every effort imposed by the Judaizers to, um, to start adding to the cross of Christ, start adding to um, really just how a person could be saved. So the conference that was held in Jerusalem, the dates are, you know, anywhere between 48 and 50 B.C., and the discussion the, the, to discuss conditions of the Gentiles coming into the church, right? So the issue was raised by the Pharisees or the, the Judaizers, right? Peter, we're going to see as we go through this, is a little bit of an outline. We'll see that Peter defended the Gentile mission, right? Peter was the first. Uh, to be exposed to uh, God reaching to the Gentiles with Cornelius, right? And, like, and I think I've mentioned it multiple times, but I'm going to just say it again for the record. The first Gentiles were Italian, just so you guys know that. Cornelius and the Italian band, all right? I don't know if they played instruments too, but they were a band. All right, so Paul and Barnabas are going to um, share, um, you know, the miracles and the wonders that God worked through them to the Gentiles. James is going to propose a solution, and then at, towards the end of the chapter, um, there's going to be an official an agreement reached. So the opposition consisted of a large group of priests, that were in the Jerusalem assembly, as well as people who still followed um, a lot of the Old Testament practices. Now, there were a lot of Pharisees who, who were saved, who um, had no intention of giving up the Mosaic system. So there's people 
You know, these Judaizers, a lot of them were Pharisees that were saved, but just didn't want to let go of all of the Jewish tradition. And um, I, um, I relate this a little bit because, to this because I was um, Catholic. Now, I wasn't really um, a practicing Catholic, but I had a lot of friends that were who got saved. And, you know, sometimes getting away from the ritual of the Catholic Church you know, like not going to confession and, or, not, or how you take communion or things like that. There's a lot of things that, you know, you, you, you kind of have to, as you're growing in the Lord, you know, you kind of shed those things as you, you know, your understanding develops and you start understanding the heart of, you know, the word and, you know, what salvation really entails in a, a relationship. So, um, you know, I could, I could see that. I could see that being a... Um, something that people would have to work through. Well, these guys, I think, to them it was just like, hey, look, no, this is the way it's got to be. So basically, when you talk about fighting against God, these guys made it their work, their life work, to undo what God did, when you think about it. Because really, right, God, you know, before the foundations of the earth, right? God knew we were going to get saved. I mean, God had a plan from the beginning of time to redeem man, right? So these guys were, had, they were like just bent on trying to undo what God had just accomplished through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, right? They were adding to what God did, trying to undo what God had already established, so, so that's, boy, talk about an exercise in futility, right? That's got to be like, whew, yeah, keep trying to do that. But, you know, this was a, a, a transitional time for the church and a real critical time for the church. And we know that, you know, transitional times can be difficult, right? So I'm sure that this was a difficult time for the church. And you're going to see that as we get into the chapter. And, it, and it's not going to go away. Right, because it's always it's going to be there, and then you know, of course, heresy and you know some of the other crazy philosophies that creep that crept into the church. We read about in in um, Colossians, right? So many things creeping into the church, and and today there's things creeping into the church. You know, so we should be able to understand um, what it feels like as a church transitioning in a society that we live in today. So, um, I, can't, I, I wrote this down. I said, I can't even imagine where Christianity would be today if Paul and the apostles gave in to these legalists. You know, as I was just sitting there just thinking, what would, what would the church be like if, you know, they just gave in and say, okay, well, that's no big deal. No, that, really, that's not a big deal either. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, and I, I don't think I know. That's, what, that's why there's so much craziness today in the church. It's not that bad. Come on, God loves everybody. You know, they're okay. You know, and the thing is, it's, you know, these guys were saying, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, some of these guys, I mean, they walked with Jesus. They, I mean, they were with him. There was no way that they were going to let these Judaizers add to the finished work of Christ. And, you know, we can't as the church. You know, we want to get caught up in all of the things that are going on in the world today. I'll tell you what, let's just focus on keeping the church on track. Let's focus on sharing the truth of the gospel with people. 
You know, let's hold, let's hold the line on, on what's biblically right. Let's hold the line on what God says is true. Because that's not going to change, you know. And that, you know, that's, it's a sure thing. If there's ever a sure thing, it's right here. You know, I've heard, a, over the course of my life, I've heard a lot of conversation about, oh, it's a sure thing, it's a sure thing. I wasn't a gambler, though, either. I'm not talking about, like, betting on a horse. It's a sure thing. But just people, you know, they just, hey, it's a sure thing. Well, God's word is a sure thing. So that's why this chapter really is so important. And that's why I want to spend the rest of the time that we have um, just looking at what they were trying to undo, what, what these um, Judaizers were trying to undo. They were legalists. There's still, um, there's still some legalists in the church today, but the first thing was they were attempting to mix the law and grace. They were attempting to pour new wine into um, the ancient brittle wineskins. And if you want, you can turn to Matthew 5, and if you don't want to turn there, I'll read it. But Matthew 5, verses 36 through 39 says that when he had spoke to them in a parable, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put in new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. So, in verse 36, that the, the no one that it's referencing to is, um, it's like a slam on the Pharisees, right? Who favor the past and reject the arrival of the kingdom, right? And the new covenant. You know, they don't want the new, they want the old, right? So that points back to, um, you know, the fact that we cannot mix the old covenant with the new covenant. And that's exactly what the Judaizers wanted to do. They wanted to mix the old with the new. And Jesus, you know, it's just, you know, <laughs> he's just so, I mean, he, he's already prepared some of these guys, right? He's already, he's already taught this to the disciples, you know, and... And this, this is what really blows me away. And this is one of the most, ex this, when this happens to you, it's, it's got to be one of the most exciting, it's, it's like the highlight of the day. You know, you're reading something, something's going on in your life, and Jesus already had spoke to you about it the week before in your devotions. You know, you read something that really kind of stuck out in your mind, and then you experience something, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, hey, you know what, I just read that, and this is so, this is so, this is so real for what I'm going through now. You know, and it's just amazing. You know, Jesus is preparing these guys, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And you know what? We don't even know it at times. You know, we're into the word and God speaks to us about something and we're like, wow, that's cool, you know. And, the, you know, a couple days go by and then you see the application. You know, you see why he, you know, why he just brought that to your attention. 
So when you do your devotions, read carefully, right? I, I like to jot stuff down that sticks out in my mind and just see where it goes. But, you know, Jesus is already um, talking to them about this. Um, the new covenant era inaugurated by Jesus coming, right? It's going to require three things. Repentance, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Regeneration, right? John 3, 3, being born again. And new forms of worship. And one of them being worshiping God in spirit and truth. All of this is like totally new. I mean, these, these Pharisees, these legalists, um, you know, I, I believe they totally missed it. Just totally missed the whole heart of God. These parables teach that a new dispensation had begun. And there could be no mixing of the new and the old. And I like how, he, how Jesus kind of repeats it, but just a different way. Because we see in the first parable, the old garment speaks of a legal system, while the new garment speaks of an era of grace. And that's what these Judaizers were trying to take away. They were trying to, they were trying to put people back into bondage to the law. Think about that. You know, experiencing freedom in Christ and then somebody coming along and say, well, wait, wait a minute. You, you, all, you just accepted Christ and now you think you can, you know, you can do this or you can, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. You know, you, you have to do this on top of that. But, well, well, wait a minute. I thought it was, you know, it was just faith in Christ. No, no, no. You know, can you see the, the, term, <clears throat> the turmoil that could have cost it could have caused in the church. It would have been crazy. So the two are incompatible. I, like, um, I found this quote by uh, Darby that states it well. Jesus would do no such thing as tack on Christianity to Judaism. That's what these guys wanted to do. They wanted, Judy, they wanted Christianity to be a sect of Judaism. They wanted Christianity to conform to Judaism. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. That's not the plan. That's not the plan. Then here's, here's a group of men. Here is a young church that, you know, with these guys have, you know, been around now. This has been, what did I say, close to 18 years, right, that these guys have been saved that the church um, in Jerusalem has been together. Um, you know, there's James, there's some apostles, there's disciples, there are guys that are rooted in the word, and they're, they're just taking a stand. And, you know, they're taking a stand for the word of God. And that's, you know, that's what God's called us to, to do, right? You know, we can be the most effective in our communities, in, in our country, um, because we're adhering to the word of God, right? When you think about it, we're, we hold dear the Constitution, but what gave birth to the Constitution? The word of God. There would be no Constitution. If there weren't for the word of God, there would be no Constitution. So our allegiance is to the word of God, first and foremost. And hey, I'm thankful for the Constitution, and I'm thankful for free speech, but I'm thankful, <laughs> I'm thankful for the word of God. 
you know, and that's that's where our roots are. You know, and, and it's so important for us to understand that that's what these men were doing. They were preserving our freedom in Christ. They were preserving our freedom. These guys are taking a stand for the word of God. And, um, you know, guys, that's... It's just so critical. The second parable teaches the folly of putting new wine into old wineskins. Because, you know, once, the, once it fermented and just expanded, expanded, the old wineskins just couldn't handle it. And it just burst. And one of, the, one of the commentators that I read said that, you know, that the old, the old covenant couldn't take the exuberance and joy that the new covenant had brought to the church. And it would just, just kind of, just blew it right out of purport, you know, just, just exploded it, you know. And, and it's so true, you know, that, and I want to make sure I don't want to, I don't want to sound um, um, like I'm anti, like the Old Testament. I'm not, you know, but we know that the law was just there as a school teacher, right, to bring us to Christ. But now that that's happened, I mean, it's, I'm, it's not useless, but it, you know, it's not, um, we don't need it to get saved. Is that, am I making sense? So, you know, these guys, you know, and in essence, I, I hear, you know, Jesus saying that this stuff is just, it's outmoded, it's old-fashioned. This stuff is, all of this ritualistic stuff is just not going to be able to contain the enthusiasm and the joy of what, you know, that the new birth is going to bring, what the church is going to do. You know, and the church... I mean, think of these Judaizers had a mind-boggling thinking that, what are, you, what are you talking about? That Jew and the Gentile are, are going to be one? You know, they're going to they're become the body of Christ? I mean, it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing, you know, to think that, you know, Paul is, is, in, a, a, is in custody writing Ephesians, you know, sharing that truth that God had put in his heart. Um, you know, it's just, it's just amazing to see that. He's there protecting um, the gospel. The old wineskin picture, dull, uninspired, and cold formalism of the Pharisees. You know, and <laughs> the, the third parable states that no one, having drunk old wine, prefers new. He said the old is better. And this pictures the natural reluctance of men to abandon the old for the new. Judaism for Christianity, law for grace, shadows for substance. I mean, really, right? Because the, the law was just a shadow. But when Jesus came, right, he was the substance, right? You know, there's no, uh, there's no comparison. There is, there is no comparison, so the second thing, all right, so you guys got it right there. They're, the first thing is that um, they're attempting to mix the law with grace. Can't do it. We're saved by grace, right? You, there's no law anymore. You know, read Galatians. Read Galatians. So the second thing, and we'll, we have enough time to do the second one. Um, they were stitching up the, thor the torn veil. Right? Luke 23, verse 45, Jesus is on the cross. It says, The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Right? 
when I was reading this, I was thinking about this. I was thinking of you know these people trying to sew the trying to sew the veil back up. Oh no, you can't you can't enter the holy of holies. No, you can't do that. You know when you know Jesus had eliminated that. He had eliminated that. And these guys were trying to sew it back up. They were trying to put it back up. They were trying to say, Chris, you can't go into the presence of God. Oh, no, 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 no. You need, you need a priest or somebody to do that for you. You know, you know the law. Remember that? No. You know, these guys are saying there's no way. No, we're not going back to that. You guys are done. There's a new sheriff in town. And Pastor Rob was talking about it this morning. Eventually, there's going to be a new sheriff in town for eternity, you know, that we're going to actually reign with. So these guys are just saying, hey, look, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That curtain symbolized that there was a blockage between the Holy of Holies and the people. Of course, Jewish people at that point, but that veil was torn. It was torn in two. Um, they were sewing up the new and living way to God that Jesus had opened when he died on the cross. They were adding to, you know, adding to what Jesus accomplished at the cross. And I want to I look a little bit at Hebrews chapter 10. And I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but, you know, this really, um, really spoke to my heart about the importance of this. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and we'll just read through it, and I just want to comment as we go a little bit. But verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You know, and we know that Hebrews was written to Hebrews, to, to Jewish folks. But just, uh, you know, that, that phrase in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You know, we can enter into the holy of holies. We can go before the throne of God, right, the throne of grace, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They were gonna, they're, they're trying to take that away. They're trying to say, no, you can't. No, you can't. And there's and Paul and, you know, James and these guys are saying, oh, oh yes, we can. Yes, we can. Um, that new, um, the way is new because the covenant is new. Okay, it's not a way provided by the Levitical system. It's new. They weren't getting the fact that it's new. It's different. It's not the same thing. And, you know, think about that when you approach the Lord and some of the you know, things maybe that you have in your mind or things that have kind of come with you as you have been growing, that, you know, um, it's, where did I hear it today? Pastor Rob, did you say today? Well, it could have been you. could have been you. We have a tendency to think that we have to be a certain way or do a certain thing to get approval from God. You know, like we have to earn it. You know, when we, we don't have, uh, I don't want to get any, stop the tape. No, no I don't want to, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you guys know what I'm saying, right? You, you, you can't earn it. Sure, God wants us to live a certain way and that's what you should do. But don't think that you're earning anything, any extra credit, because you're not. And, 
you know, to, just to think it, the, you know, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that, that's what gives us the right to come before him, to go into that throne of grace. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a confidence that we can have, a boldness that we can have. And I think every Christian should have that. I think that every Christian should feel a confidence in approaching God. Um, I like the word confidence better than I like the word boldness, but I, I really think that every Christian should, should have a confidence, should have a comfortableness of just going before God and, and just laying our heart out before him. You know, that there, you know, there should be no hesitancy in that. You know, we should feel that way, and the reason we should feel that way is because of what Jesus did, what he accomplished. I mean, he gave his life not only to redeem us, but when that veil was torn, he was saying that because of this, you have access now. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't need, I'm the mediator, right? Jesus said, I'm the advocate. I'm your advocate, right? So, you know, and, and I just hope you guys see that. That's what these Judaizers were trying to take away from the church, that's what they're, you know, when you talk about losing some of your rights, think about that. I mean, they're trying to take away your right to go before God, to enter into that throne of grace. And they're trying to say that, no, you, you can do it, but you can do it on our terms. And these guys are saying, no, 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 wait a minute. We're doing it on God's terms. This is the way God ordained it. This is the way we're going to do it. And that really needs to be the mindset and the heart of the church even today, this is the way that God said it should be, right? In the beginning, God made male and female, right? It, it should be a crime for someone to tell a child that he can choose his gender, right? You know, we should feel confident in that. We should feel confident in that, just as confident in that as two and two is four. Whenever we're, you know, because the word of God, I mean, it's, that's, where it's, that's where we get our boldness and our confidence from. We should feel confident entering into the throne of grace. It says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Right? Through the veil that's his flesh, Jesus when Jesus' flesh was torn at his crucifixion, so was the temple veil, right? Jesus was on the cross giving his life. The, the veil is torn. The veil is torn. <clears throat> the veil is torn, and Jesus at that very time is giving up the ghost. So important for us to understand that. Having, and having a high priest, Jesus is the superior high priest over the house of God, it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So letting us draw near with a true heart, a sincere, genuine heart, um, a heart without ulterior motives. You know, God knows our heart. You know, God knows our heart. And so obviously, um, you know, there's no getting over on God, right? And it talks about in the full assurance of faith, the confidence in the promises of God that we can do that. 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that, that phrase, to draw near to God, um, the same invitation is found in the book of James, right, where James reveals the natural consequence of drawing near to God. So let me read that to you out of James. It's James 4, verse 8. It says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the consequence of drawing near to God is that God is going to draw near to you. That's not a bad deal, right? Oh, if I draw near to God, he's going to draw near to me, right? All because of what Jesus did on the cross. Asaph thought, thought that that um, was a good thing to draw near to God. In Psalm 20, 73, 28, it says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. So he says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast, holding on or persevering, holding on. Let us hold on fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. You know, we can be bold. We can be confident. We can enter into the throne room of God confidently, knowing that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that, that we have that access now. And these men are trying to take that away. They're trying to take that away from the church. No, you can do it, but you're going to have to do it our way. And they're saying, no, we're going to do it God's way. And guys, that's got to be our heart. That's got to be our heart. We're the church. You know, we're God's ambassadors on this planet. And you know what? It's, we, need to, we need to take a stand just like these guys are taking a stand and saying, no, no, God's got a way. And as for us, we're going to do it God's way. And if, if you don't like it, then um, with all due respect, we're going to do it God's way. You know, we don't, um, you know, we don't have to be um, obnoxious or rude. Um, you know what? Because Jesus, I mean, we're just, hey, look, God has a plan and we want, we, this, is what, this is what we're called to keep in step with, right? We're called to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, what God is doing. So um, there's, there's actually two more, but we'll, we'll do those next week. But I, I just want to encourage you guys to, um, you know, go ahead and read Acts 15, but read it through the lens of what's at stake? What's at stake? What if these guys just, just roll over and just, you know, let these Judaizers have their way? Because I'll tell you what, there's been too much given up because the church has done that. The church has done that. And, you know, we're in the, the situation we're in, partly because the church didn't stand up and say, no, wait, God has a way. And we're not, you know, we're not, we're not in with this, man. We're just not in with it. We're not doing it. You know, so it's important. And it, as an individual believer, it's important for each one of us to know that we can confidently go before God. We can. Jesus paid the price. Hey, if, if, if you know, you need to get right with God before you enter and you go before him, whatever you need to do, do it. But I'll tell you what, you know, the, there should be a confidence 
There should be a godly confidence that you can go before him. And you know what? That anything that you do in your life, you can have that confidence that God is with you. You know, you're not, none of us are in this alone. You know, God is with us. God is enabling us. You know, God just wants our heart, right? He just wants our heart. He just wants, you know, and we know we just read that he knows what's in our heart, right? But that's all he wants. He just wants your heart. You know, he wants you to just give your heart to him, serve him. You know, and I'll tell you what, we've been around long enough, right, that we've served all kinds of different masters, but I'll tell you what, this is, and I'm going to stop with this. this. I heard this the other day, and I forgot who said it, so I'm going to take the credit for it. No, I'm the, you know, the, um, the, let's see, how did it go? Oh, all right. The key to happiness in life isn't money. It isn't worldly possessions. The pursuit of happiness comes when you find the right master, right? Jesus Christ is our, our master. You know, and life really starts to be worth living when you have the right master, right? Because there, were, there was only one kingdom till, it went till you know, Satan decided that he was going to, um, you know, that he felt that he was going to overthrow God. And then all of a sudden, now there's two kingdoms, right? The pursuit of happiness in a happy life is serving the right master because there's only two. There's only two. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, our time together. Thank you for your word. And, and Lord, thank you for these men and these women that have gone before us who um, just refused just downright refused to, comp, you know, to compromise your word. And um, they, they knew. They knew what was at stake, and they, they weren't going to give in. And we're so thankful for that, uh, not only for the fact that, you know, we, um, you know, we have that word preserved, and we, you know, we, we still have that access before your throne, and we know, Jesus, that it's, you know, it's, it's all about you. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's... Uh, there's no addition to Christ. It's Christ alone, through grace alone. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would be as tenacious with your word and guarding it and um, protecting it and um, really just not letting it get watered down. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that you would um, just give us a, um, a holy unction, Lord, for your word. And uh, Father, continue to enable us, to strengthen us, to, um, to take a stand for you. Help us, Lord, to um, see the importance of holding on to these truths, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much for uh, the rest of our night. I pray, God, for traveling mercies for everyone, that they would get home safe. And Lord, should you tarry, I pray, God, that uh, we would all see your active hand uh, in our day tomorrow. Uh, we love you so much, Lord, and thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.